0: the atmosphere of all the Irish fans and it was just incredible to see those green jerseys walking around like really and truly Irish fans
1: Subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app Hello, Shane Hannan here, the host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the episode proper, however, I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball, with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough. Pizza? Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado... The f1 pod the f1 pod on off the ball with chicago town pizza formula one yeah we go to town on it All right, you're very welcome along. It's episode seven of the F1 Pod on Off the Ball Weekly between now and the end of the season after the race weekends. Of course, live on Wednesdays in the F1 Pod podcast feed and the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, The F1 Pod on Off the Ball, brought to you by our sponsors, Chicago Town Pizza, Real Takeout, Taste for Less with Chicago Town. As always, keep your questions and comments and thoughts. Uh, myself on Twitter, you'll, get, you'll find me at ShaneHannon01. I'm delighted to welcome along and welcome back, I guess, for episode seven. We have Bernie Collins, the Formula One pundit, and uh, who was most recently head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team. And we have Declan Quigley, the motorsport journalist and broadcaster. Bernie and Declan, how are things?
0: Good, nice to Good, be yeah. here. Cheers.
1: Thanks, for, thanks for hopping on. As per usual, You're we were just saying before we started there, Bernie, you, you love Hungary and the Hungarian ring so much that you're still there.
0: <laughs> yeah well it's unfortunate I got here after the race so it's weird being out of track and um, just as the pack-ups happening and just as things are starting to sort of be put away and took down but yeah it's still here it's a little bit wetter than it was over the race weekend, but, but still a chilling out here.
1: Is that is that whole process because I, I haven't been at a ground play before I, the whole process of packing things away taking things off I'm sure the, the teams have it down to a T now but I mean it's a huge huge undertaking at the same time that people maybe don't realise the scale of the work that goes on behind the scenes to get all the equipment to, to location?
0: Yeah, it's definitely, when you, if you look at like, sort of think of things like the pit wall, the garage, the trucks behind, all of that, the teams will have taken down overnight after the race. So, you know, from the end of the race to the pack up being complete from a team side, there's probably another eight or nine hours work there and taking it all. And they have it, they're they're pretty good at it now these days. they like, getting it all pretty quickly, put away all the offices and stuff. And then that'll all all have been transited to Spa, and then today, Wednesday for the Spa again, that'll all be getting set up again. So the pack-up that's still happening here is sort of the bits that are left behind, so the paddock club and, and some of the grandstands, ticket offices, all of the stuff that's sort of circuit-specific, but the teams are actually cleared out pretty quickly after the race. Even the big, you know, Red Bull motorhome that we see that's really huge, they they do it pretty quickly.
2: We back did. in the old days at Monza, um, the the breakdown began as the cars went out on their last lap. Because the the fans, the, the fussy, would sort of uh, storm the um, the barriers, race across the track the minute the cars came across the, the finish line. And this is like right up into the Schumacher era, and uh, and so they'd be out with they cranking it the, and taking breaking <laughs> down the pit wall uh, as quick as they could because everything would just suddenly disappear to be just <laughs> there was stripped bare. And I remember once it was almost like you know the fall of Saigon or something sliding in under a garage door that was coming down because they were sort of pulling down coming <laughs> as quick as they could because i mean it was just nuts it was bananas and these days they've much higher fences so it's a little bit safer here yeah.
1: <laughs> it's crazy yeah. it's, it's mentalist stuff that people <clears throat> they all want their little piece especially the devocie i suppose that they're uh, a very fervent support let's just say it, for sure uh we, you did mention spa there bernie and we will get to that i suppose uh, before the end of the podcast uh, the belgian grand prix this weekend preceding the four-week summer break um uh, Declan, that that's one like the Spa was one for me that was always top of my list. Unfortunately, and I, I always get slagged for for bringing this up all the time. That the Spa Grand Prix I went to was the one a couple of years ago when the the rain <laughs> played havoc and the the half points were handed out, so it wasn't exactly the best Spa Grand Prix to go to. But it always rains in Spa, so it, it yeah, I think there, yeah, well, that's why I picked it. To be honest, I was like, oh, Spa will be brilliant. It always rains, so it's gonna be a great race. But yeah, maybe we didn't barter for the the amount of rain we had. Uh, do you have you had a I guess a favorite? Grand Prix location, has there always been a place that has held the most I guess I, for you. I, I always used to say go to the M's, go to Montreal,
2: Monaco. There was one or two other M's that were quite good as well. <laughs> um Monaco, you just break the bank. It's a ridiculous place to have a racetrack. It's just insane, and it's all done by by Saturday afternoon, isn't it? But it was, it is an amazing location, amazing venue, and an amazing, amazing place to see a racing car because they're so out of their environment that you just get a sense. It's shocking how quick they are, and yet it's the slowest they go by miles. And um, I used to have this fantastic opportunity to go out on track. You know, get it. Everyone gets a art at monaco um you know the, the the media generally speaking don't go out on track so much um obviously the snappers are doing it and there's one or two superstars who go out and watch the cars out there but everybody gets a tap out at monaco i would go to tabac and you wouldn't be allowed to stand there for very long but you could literally watch the cars uh, coming towards you and just for a moment your eyes would meet the drivers just for a a fraction of a second and then they flash past millimeters away from the and it's it's not somewhere that people look at but that was just an amazing privilege that one's a good one to go to and spa spa is everyone should go and camp at spa you'll come home with trench foot pneumonia you'll hate your Yourself, but it's an amazing experience because you're they are there i don't think anyone gets a sense watching on television just how that the, the elevation changes and the forest and the the sense of being in, in and in a, it's a gorgeous part of the world anyway in fact i think um the walloon region and the Ardennes region of belgium is gorgeous and it's all about flanders in that country but i think that's it's absolutely amazing yeah
1: yeah that definitely struck me when i saw um Spa first, you know, the Ardennes Forest and, and Radion and No Rouge, I mean, all these uh, unbelievably famous turns and hills and uh, parts of the track that you're just, when you see with your, with your bare eyes, you're like, oh, this is incredible. Uh, so we will we will get back to, to Spa before the end of the podcast. We should talk about Hungary, I guess, first guys, and um, I mean, it is definitely Groundhog Day at this point, but... Uh, at least it's history this time for Red Bull, so it it it, makes it a little bit more interesting. So a seventh win in a row for Verstappen, ninth of the season, uh, and Red Bull's twelfth consecutive win dating back to Abu Dhabi twenty twenty two. So this of course breaks the uh, the record of eleven straight wins set by McLaren with uh, with Senna and Prost back in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Bernie, I guess this is a record that uh, when it was set in eighty eight, people thought ah, it'll be a long long time before this is um this is broken. It was a long time, and uh, I mean, what a team, Red Bull, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and I think when you look at it, you know, and credit to them, they've they've built a strong car. Max is driving it, you know, really well. There's very few mistakes coming either in qualifying or the race, which is like, you know, leading every lap of the race last weekend is so impressive and so hard to do in a multi-stop race. You know, to always be in that position, you never need to stop behind the guy in P two. You can just lead it from beginning to end. It, it is impressive what they've achieved and what Max continues to achieve because you've got to think that although we're saying, oh, it's easy, he's in the fastest car, he cannot let his concentration slip in a qualifying lap. But, you know, and maybe we did see that a, a bit last weekend and he wasn't expecting Hamilton to be so close so we didn't get the best lap in Q3 but to keep that level of concentration without the competition with each these guys creative, it, it is impressive to see him continuing to do it week on week And you Know the question is going to be where does it stop? And short of a reliability failure or some really out there conditions, which again, I think Red Bull's pit wall Bull are highly adapted to deal with. I just don't see where the competition, you know, we closed and qualified this again, but I don't think we're closing in the race.
1: It's mad, isn't it, Declan? I mean, like that, that season from McLaren 35 years ago that we mentioned, uh, historically, in many senses, but I guess one thing it didn't achieve is. Winning every single race across the season are we are we getting to the point now where that's it's still a while off, but it', is it becoming a distinct possibility?
2: Just need to bring Jean-Louis Schlesser out of retirement and maybe he can sort of harpoon uh, Max Verstappen out a, a chicane somewhere and maybe, yeah, get, get a one-two for Ferrari at Monza. That's uh, that'd be nice. I mean, that's it is hard to see how any can get to them. I mean, I think the point was well made um, that uh, had Lewis got it off the line or at least, you know, got through the second phase of of his start properly, it wouldn't have made any difference. Because even though Hungaroring is not exactly the most inspiring and exciting racetrack on planet Earth that with DRS these days, um, you know, it, it means that the fastest car is going to eventually win. Uh, I mean, you talk about the law of unintended consequences and. I'm sure the power brokers at the head of F1, I'm sure it's all they ever think about is domination is not good for the game. It's not good for the brand, but it has existed since the dawn of, of motor racing. It has existed since the dawn of sport. And to imagine that it's not there, we're not going to have eras or epochs where, you know, you've just got this level of domination, which ex- for an extended period of time is unreasonable. And in some respects, Bernie Eccleston did it. And I think, you know, again, now the Drive to Survive generation as well have come in and they have unreasonable, perhaps potentially unreasonable expectations. They're, I'd always said Bernie sold the world a pup. He sold them this idea of... Mansell versus Prost versus Senna and they all hate each other and it's amazing it's all about the drivers it's all about this incredible dynamic between them and that was fascinating absolutely fascinating and through the years it has been really fascinating to see you know Schumacher against Hill make a list etc but uh, in reality what happens is this is a team sport and the best people will meet the best people so you uh, you will eventually the best drivers are always going to so Adrian Newey has to meet Max Verstappen at some stage that's just going to happen you know it, so and then inevitably they're going to dominate because they'll put it all together and they'll put it together for an extended period of time and then the power brokers they're trying to figure out how to change it so they come up with this with DRS which everyone rails against harumphs about for a while and then kind of everyone's into it now aren't they there's so much strategy around it and everyone's excited about that you know technically how red bull have done a great job with it and of course it's just become part of what we we understand formula one is so if with drs it means that the quickest car is de- eventually going to end up at the front of the race no matter where it starts more or less and that's the slight complication that's the conundrum when we've got this level of domination it's almost guaranteed to continue and they the variables aren't in it i suppose in the dawn of motor racing the cars broke down a lot uh, people crashed, um, they got injured, they got killed, you know, and and then so you had those extra variables that thankfully aren't there uh, anymore. But now, and I think the reliability is a major issue really because the cars just don't break down and they will last and they will get through. And the, uh, as Bernie says, in strategy terms, on race weekend, they're so, you know, well honed, they're so battle hardened and they're so clever and they're just consistently clever. Consistency is the, is the name of the game. So, Eventually, I mean, you know, this too will will end. You know, like the pandemic, like uh, Red Bull's domination. I mean, what the, the record he's going for now is Vettel's nine in a row, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the next one. You know. But I mean, Pfft, Ascari won every race in '52 and '53. We saw the domination of Fangio through the '50s. When Jim Clark did '63, everyone got, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I mean, keep it going through the, into the '70s. The the louder domination at Ferrari wasn't as you know he didn't win as many consecutive Grand Prixs because they broke down back then. But it, it amounted to more or less the same thing. You know, how come Ferrari don't win every race? Is what they said, and maybe we can talk about that again later as well. You know, because they're really dropping the ball at the moment. But fundamentally this is going to happen it happened with schumacher it happened with hamilton it happened you know uh, with Vettel. and it'll it'll happen with verstappen for a while and then it'll be someone else
1: yeah i guess it does come in peaks and troughs really like if you look at the constructor standings at the moment the top 5 mclaren 87 points ferrari in fourth on 167 aston martin third 184 223 points for mercedes in second but 452 points uh, Red Bull have the lead with those eleven wins and seventeen podiums, and then Verstappen's lead in the driver standings, two hundred and eighty-one points ahead of Perez, one hundred and seventy-one way ahead of Perez, one hundred and ten points out in the lead, uh, and Alonso in third and one hundred and thirty-nine, with Hamilton and Russell in fourth and fifth. Like Bernie, as Declan says, there like is it getting to a point now where? Well, I'm sure it is at the point, but but Formula One higher ups will be will be having these meetings. I guess Red Bull domination isn't great for for the sport as a spectacle.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely not great, 100%. And I think particularly for the newer fans, maybe it's not great because you want to see people fighting for pain one. I think those of us that have historically watched are maybe you know much more interested in the midfield battle and definitely we have a very exciting midfield battle. And as much as we try to sell the qualifying last weekend, it was a shock for Hamilton to be on pole. As much as we try and sell that as closing the gap, then you see the gap at the end of the race and you realise actually the gap is still pretty massive to Red Bull. It is a problem. And I think a bigger problem maybe is that how long term the rules are locked in for how long ahead we're already talking about rules. We're talking about regulations in 2026. That's the new engine regs coming. That's already two more full seasons away. That I think will shake up naturally the order because we have this big change in engines. So do we just wait for gradually the others to catch up between now and then? That's the question mark and that's what the I guess, you know, the powers that be are going to have to decide if as we get to the end of this year is naturally the development of those other cars, which we do see coming and we do see the gap closing slowly. Is that going to be enough? And, you know, fundamentally are they going to wait for this sliding scale of aero development to play out, to see the fruition of if limited aero development were Red Bull is it going to change the scales quickly enough? Or does that scale need to be harsher? Does it need to be more than the 5% or whatever it is that between teams? So I think they sort of need to almost not react too quickly and see their own regulation play fully out in terms of, of what's going to happen in aero development.
1: Um, I guess and from a Red Bull perspective and those are questions, there's so many questions there that I guess Red Bull and, and Formula 1 and everyone else are going to be trying to answer over the next while. Um we we always talk about verstappen but i guess you forget almost that there is <laughs> checo is there in the background trying his best to to race with one of the greatest drivers certainly of modern times um uh, Bernie, you you know checo very well obviously but but uh, i mean per qualifying in ninth in hungary but then uh, you use the offset strategy starts on the the hard tires most of the front runners are on the mediums at uh, the weekend just gone um and does well, you know, climbs up the leaderboard and, and has that battle with uh, with Norris then for second and third. Um, it, It's a difficult position for Checo, isn't it, at the moment, when you're when you're racing someone like Verstappen, and I guess you're getting compared to him week, on, week in, week out.
0: It definitely is. Like He's not, you know, pre, in his previous teams, his previous vices, he was maybe the one scoring the most points. So he's not been so much in this position until he's joined Red Bull. And obviously he's fully expected that going into that Red Bull seat. That was... Always a number two driver, seat, regardless of how good the number two driver is. I'm a big fan of check and work with him a lot, as you say. I was surprised how long it's taken to turn around the you know, pretty poor results that we've had so far this year to be trailing Verstappen by, like you said, 110 points at this point in the season's pretty poor from a car that is second best. It's not like Verstappen has the second best car and he's over recent. it but that car deserves to be P1 and P2 on the podium every week. Um and you know the P1 in Hungary the shunt lap one I just saw oh you know this is going to be another weekend from hell how do you turn it around and he did what he needed to do in qualifying he got rid of the Q1 and the Q2 sessions maybe not the best Q3 but he just needed to progress through those sessions with no mistakes um you know especially as we had the the different qualifying last again and he done that well and then he raced well. Hungary is difficult to overtake. So, I'm even surprised some of the progress that was made through that race. So, he just needs to keep that going forward if we can. And into spa this weekend, he enjoys spa, I think, as a track. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one for him. And, you know, even last week, a lot of pressure with the Ricciardo move. Mm -hmm. Ricciardo moving into the Alfatori seat. As much as you come out in the press and you say, oh, I'm not worried about that, I'm not conscious about that. Why did they do that at that point in the year? Is it to say, give Ricciardo a few races before the shutdown, then make some big decisions? That is a lot of pressure on your back when you know someone as good as Ricciardo was getting in the Alfa seat that weekend. So I think he did all right last weekend, but let's see what this weekend brings.
1: Not quite pointed, didn't it, Declan? Like the uh, the timing of that move, as as Bernie says, <laughs> bringing Daniel Ricciardo back in. Um, and, I, and I think uh, Lewis Hamilton, even during the week, was taking an aim. A little bit of a name, of course. It's a it's low hanging fruit when it's Mercedes versus Red Bull. But uh that decision to replace Nick De Vries with with Ricardo at, at um just ten races into his maiden F one season, Nick De Vries, as we spoke about in the last podcast, Uh and Hamilton had said, I was definitely surprised to see the decision uh to sack Nick. He's such a talented young man, such a nice guy as well. So I think the future's still bright for him. Like, did it feel like a, a timely? Hey, kick the, up I, the I ass? don't think. Well, funny enough, um, generally you don't get as long to
2: prove yourself in Formula One these days compared to days of your because um, they come in pretty much f- fully formed, or at least they're all, they ought to. Pace wise, they shouldn't be that far away, and they shouldn't be consistent. So, I mean, it's tough for De I talented racing drivers, you say, but. Um, wasn't performing there was a better option that it was daniel ricardo was extraordinary and does he really want want to go back to red bull i mean it's a poison chalice as as bernie has pointed out there um sergio Perez is having to come to terms with the fact that he is the uh, established number two driver and no formula one driver has ever arrived at the top level without thinking of themselves as at least the very best in their team um so, and Ricardo, he's still got a, P- a bit of PTSD from his McLaren time, hasn't he? And it's, it's funny how it's, it's, you know, drivers suit different automobiles at different times in their career. You know, they can have these little dips, which is because the car isn't suiting them. Might be a, a bit of a Russell situation at Mercedes going on there. Uh, I'm not sure what, what the situation is for Perez, but, uh, you know, whether it's just the automobile isn't suiting him, whether it's the environment, whether he's just had, a couple of seasons now have not been the main man, and he's lost a little bit of his mojo because of it. he it, um, it, only he really knows that for absolute certainty, but uh, but absolutely, yeah, you can be sure that there's a lot of politics around these decisions for Ricardo. Does he really want that though? I mean, mm. does he really, really want to be you no know, um going up against Max Verstappen? Does he believe he can beat him? Would he? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a poison chalice for for whatever driver, because obviously Checo's a top driver as well as is Ricardo. Whoever takes that position is going to be uh, up against it, I'd imagine, week in week out. Um, we did mention Lewis Hamilton, and and I guess we should pay credence to the fact that he had a his one hundred and fourth pole position. Uh, he said on Saturday after after that um, qualification that it, it felt like his first after such a drought. Saudi Arabia, twenty twenty one, Bernie was was his last uh, pole position. Um, and, and look. The race didn't go to plan, as you say, but I guess he still deserves credit for for banging out poles uh, in in that car. Because as he says, he apologizes to his team afterwards, but he's been he's been critical, I guess, of the of the car over the year. So he's still able to pull out these results.
0: Yeah, I think he's pushing the team very hard. I think it, it was interesting. I spoke to someone I can't remember whether the but Lewis has changed a little bit his attitude and his video comes, He's starting to thank the team a bit for their good pit stop or for the work they've put in or the effort or thank the factories. I think we are seeing someone who's trying to get the team behind him, and trying to push it forward, trying to push the development. You know, the qualifying lap was impressive. I think there was some comment afterwards that said it was the first time we tried to go flat through the high speed section and he wasn't sure he could do it, but he figured Q3 run two was the time to give it a go. And like, that's a different kind of bravery to definitely what I'm capable of. Of saying, this is your one lap, you know, literally live on TV in front of everybody, all or nothing, is the grip going to hold? And that's how I got the pole lap. And I just, you just, and I remember watching it and thinking he had a little wiggle through turn 13, I think it was second last corner. You just sort of thought maybe he lost it there, maybe that was enough and still to get it on pole. That is, you know, bravery and confidence, you know, that I don't possess. And that is, that isn't to me what an F1 driver really epitomizes. You see that time and time again from the guys that are really good and it's almost like they not that they don't care about, about their, their own safety, but it's just like I'm gonna to prefer to take this risk that I know if someone else doesn't take it, I'm gonna benefit from. And it's great to see that fight within Lewis. Um and you know, it will to get that pole, and we say the race was then difficult afterwards. That will invigorate the team behind him so much because that gap, you know, has been closed. Yes, one event, yes, one specific set of circumstances, but that gap for that weekend was closed. And that is the bit that they're going to, you know, really latch on to and really drive them forward in terms of development. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, and we've talked a few times about it. It seems that the higher fuel, their race pace really suffers, I think, compared to the qualifying pace. They're not the only team that I think suffer that. So can they get on top of whatever their current race issue is, let's say, in order to, you know, his start was was terrible compared to Max's. If you compare it to Max and Norris, I think it was the week before, um, you know, almost the table's turned. So can can they get on top of those issues to really drive the race forward?
1: Before we take a quick uh, break, we should we should mention Declan George Russell's drive because uh, while well, we're on the, the, the subject of uh, of Mercedes, uh, it was a per qualifying for Russell, 18th, some strategy issues there as well. He was sent out into, into traffic at the end of Q1. Um, it wasn't but- entirely on him, but then he was letting them all past him, wasn't this he? Is it. They, have <laughs> his,
2: they have this gentleman's agreement. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I don't understand that. I mean, it, it, their their lap into their lap should be almost as, as busy and you just got to get your elbows out of it, don't you? You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. get get them greasy, 100%. And, and the race itself, it's like, it, it yeah. was a team effort, to be fair. And it's not yeah. a track where you expect to see too much in the line of uh, of, of overtaking, but Russell, certainly. Uh, probably the drive of the day, I mean, ends up uh, an eighth behind the two Ferraris, overtakes signs, And then, of course, with the, a penalty for Leclerc. Ends up six, so an amazing turnaround for George Russell Declan.
2: Yeah, clean run. Uh kept his head together, didn't uh didn't let the head drop. And and like midfield is nuts these days, isn't it? I mean, there's so much stuff going on, you know, uh, yeah, blue flags, cars running offline, picking up rubber, they can lose unbelievable amounts of time there. You know, people are running different strategies. So to 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 tread your way through that and to keep your head, you know, from stint to stint. You know, and put it all together is uh, is is very impressive by uh, by Russell. Yeah, he needs needs something, doesn't he? He needs a little bit of a run here. It looks like. I mean, maybe and like it was interesting to hear Bernie say that um, Lewis has been all nice to the team now. Um, Maybe because he kind of owns the team a little bit in the last few weeks, and that uh, you know now he can get down to motivating them rather than berating them for the fact that he's not actually ahead of of George Russell. Maybe he's, if he gets a little bit of a run like that, he owns it a bit like Max owns his team, mm-hmm. and then. But you know, it was a super job by by Russell. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's definitely, and he's he's push, pushing. He's the right guy to be there with uh, with Hamilton at the moment. There's there's just that little tiny little bit of a frisson between them but it seems to be a good team environment
1: Mm, certainly the drive of the day for for a lot of people Uh, stick with us guys we're going to take a a very short break on episode 7 of the F1 pod on Off The Ball uh, in the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed we'll be back in just a second with Bernie Collins and Declan Quigley the F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 yeah We go to town on it. All right, you're very welcome back to episode seven of the F1 pod on Off The Ball. Weekly between now and the end of the season. After race weeks, of course, live on Wednesdays in the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed as well. Uh, Keep your questions coming in to myself on Twitter at ShaneHannon01. Uh, We have Bernie Collins, the F1 pundit and former head of race strategy with the Aston Martin Formula One team. And Declan Quigley, the motorsport journalist and broadcaster. Uh, We were discussing George Russell there just before the ad break. We should mention, I guess, the other young British driver that everyone uh, likes to, to focus on is Lando Norris Bernie and uh, I guess from McLaren's perspective things are things are looking okay at the moment Piastri and himself had a little bit of a ding dong and a little bit of controversy over the radio got a bit tetchy uh, in terms of priority at the pit stops but uh, ultimately Norris pulls away and has a brilliant race in second
0: Yeah I think so and I think that's something that's said I know afterwards but you know just like at the Norris like for our second week we won on the podium we were shocked at their pace at the start of the year and now, equally as shocked with the turnaround, really much more back to the position that we would have expected them to start the year in. Fantastic for Norris to get the double podium. Fantastic that McLaren have been able to get on top of whatever the issue they had was and find the pace. Piastri's done a fantastic job, you know, maybe more so at Silverstone than this weekend. But in this, again, it's interesting the team play, how they called the pit stops. I don't necessarily think they were expecting Norris to have undercut Piastri. I think they're trying to protect both of the positions from Hamilton Then at a poor stop, so it wasn't needed anyway. But over the next two stints, Norris's pace showed that the decision, whether accidental or on purpose, was the correct one. It was correct to have the drivers in that order. Piastri in those final two stints was just not fit to match Norris's pace. For whatever reason, we don't fully understand that. And I think they'll go back and they'll review how, why the pace was different for a start, so from a driver learning point of view. And secondly, what they should have done in that situation or how they're going to explain that to Piastra and the radio going forward. Because from an absolute team's point, point, point of view, <laughs> there's a lot of points in that, it was a correct decision. It's correct that Norris was ahead. Otherwise, you're letting both guys fall back.
2: Yeah. Is Piastri already cooked? I mean, he came in with a huge reputation, didn't he? I and mean, in some ways that didn't suit him, did it? It wasn't it wasn't good for a rookie to have this, you know, big sort of tug of love thing going on uh, with Alpine. And he came up with such a massive reputation for having won absolutely everything mm-hmm. in, the, in the junior formula. And, you know, there, there aren't too many drivers who come in with that record in the last few years. So, I mean, the assumption was he was going to be an absolute A-lister, you know, Verstappen, Hamilton that kind of level and he's already established number two now he's he's right there he definitely I mean we're not we're not talking Nick de here I mean it's mm. he's absolutely right there and he's that podium's coming for sure so but what but is he already slightly damaged goods does he look to the uh to, you know if you're uh Ferrari or Red Bull or anyone I mean you know if you're looking to to you know to build your team around a driver is he going to be the man or is he already uh, a little bit 2nd Looking, That's the question. I
0: don't know, like I sort of, I need to go through and review a bit more of the piece, but Silverstone, he was very, very close to Norris, both in qualifying and the race. And, you know, all drivers have their track that they're not so preferred for. We don't know if there's any setup thing different on the car or anything that going forward they'll improve. It's still his first season, so Hungary is a tough track. So to be a little bit off Norris and Hungary, I don't think, they're going to be really selling that too bad. Like, let's see how it goes over the neck. You know, the Spa is going to be an interesting one again because he should know that track. Every driver knows Spa very well. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes out maybe.
1: Yeah, the one team that will be completely disappointed. And again, it feels like Groundhog Day guys having this conversation. The Defosi we mentioned, Ferrari. Um, It's hard to know where to start with these guys because Charlotte Claire, especially, I mean, his race... Um, they had that opening pit stop, drops him behind uh, Carlos Sainz, who had only started in 11th. Uh, so Charlotte Clare, I mean, ultimately Leclerc 7th, Sainz is 8th. They're 70 seconds uh, behind Max Verstappen, so that'll show the gap uh, between these two teams at the moment. Um, but Declan, it's hard, to, it, it's hard to find anything positive to say about Ferrari at the minute, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no consistency, you know, and they mm. don't seem to know where they are. And I'm sure Bernie can talk about their uh, operationally where they don't seem very uh, together. But um, fundamentally, they just don't have a have a jam jar, do they? Yeah, have a car, and that's so you know, At least they don't have them for a whole weekend, and mm. it's just coming and going, and um. Yeah, you talk about that pole lap and what it's done for Mercedes, and and what a motivational boost. I mean, they need something to come out of the woodwork a little bit that will just give them a little bit of a GM. That oughtn't to matter. I mean, you know, they should have with the amount of resource these teams have, the amount of money, and like the amount of uh, sort of science that, and engineering that goes into this. You, you, almost the entire season should be sort of mapped out in front of them. They should have a fair idea of where they are quite quickly, and then they'll develop from that. But it doesn't seem to be like that, do they? It's still a human endeavor. And Ferrari, yeah, just yeah, not not so good.
1: It is a human endeavor, Bernie, as Declan says, and and uh, there were there was comments this week from Paul Stoddart, the former F one team principal, and he was saying Ferrari made a terrible mistake in sacking Mattia Benato last year. Said they need him back. Um, they could be caught by by McLaren in the constructors' championship as well if they keep on this 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 form. He was saying, uh, Stoddart, he says he doesn't blame Fred Vasser, but feels Ferrari made an error in not making certainly at least the transition smoother does does he have a point that maybe the Bonatti exit was was a, a turning point in the wrong direction
0: it's really difficult to know I think that maybe it's very hard to know totally the structure of a team internally we often blame you know I don't necessarily think that's, that not was the right thing but or however it was phrased but or bringing in Fred that either of us going to turn it around but I don't think within 10, 11 races someone at that level in a team is making a difference to direct, definitely not to direct car performance. I think to make a difference to car performance to like their ultimate speed in qualifying, that definitely takes more time. And we have seen some glimmers of hope from some of the decisions they make over a race weekend. Some of the decisions that they make, you know, explain it before the Canada strategy decision, for example. We have seen some indications of a strong team in the background. It's just, like Declan says, the consistency. Mm. Week on week, they're not making the can if it stops decisions. It's every so often it happens and then it doesn't happen for a week and then we get a bad week, whatever. So it's can over time. And I I sort of think you need to give someone in that position a year. I don't think you're going to see the realisation of that, you know, next year, you know, really, whatever. It's a bit like thinking of a totally different, if we thought at the start of the year, Aston's strong performance coming online at the same time as our new factory is totally unrelated to the new factory because you've not seen the effect of that sink through the team yet. So I don't think, from my position, I know enough about the management structure within that team to comment, is one better than the other or was one a mistake and should they revert it? Definitely no, they shouldn't revert it because they just seem to continuously cause themselves chaos they don't need and they just need to give the guys in the team the best resource they can to get that car to the best position and let someone in the factory focus on the other stuff they need to so. do.
2: It's remarkable the way the DNA of a team just sort of lasts for, you know, decade after decade. I mean, with the exception of the Laudy years sort of kicked off by Montezemolo and then into the the Schumacher years with... Um, with Jean Todd at the head of, you know, that that cabal of uh, Rory Byrne and um, Ross Braun, I mean, you know, and, and Michael Schumacher, they they put the consistency into it, but it just doesn't exist since. And it's it's well, it, it really is extraordinary, you know. And there there has been a bit of a turnover in management, and it's got to. I, I again, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're looking from the outside in. We don't really know what's happening day to day, and you do have to see it across a longer period of time. And so, and he does need a bit of a a bit longer to get his to get his head around it and put his own stamp on the management structure. But if there if there isn't a head there, then everybody starts shouting at each other underneath that. You know, mm-hmm. there everybody's trying to sort of fight to try and retain their their little piece of the pile. So yeah, it's just it's just remarkable, and, and like. It's. I mean, it's a shame because it's such a big brand, and I always hated this this uh, obsession with Ferrari to the exclusion of all other teams. I don't think it's right, but uh, but it's true that you know that this particular sporting series does actually uh, benefit when Ferrari are going well, up to the point where they dominate for about four or five years and kill the whole thing, you know, mm. which happened.
1: <laughs> it, it just struck me there as well when you're talking, we're talking, uh, granted a lot of negative stories, but uh, the Nick de Vries exit, uh, Bernie, uh, there was comments during the week from, from David Coulthard where he's talking about uh, Logan Sargent and he was saying you know, he is at risk of being axed by Williams at the end of the year if, if he doesn't pick up. So Sargent and de Vries were the only two drivers not to pick up a, a single point in, in, in F1 this season. Um, and obviously, this is where, I guess, the, the team strategies come in and, and the, the workings behind the scene. Logan Sargent obviously brings in money to the team, so uh, he'll be there. <laughs> well, this is it. Like, is this yeah. is that is that the only is that the only thing that matters? I guess, Bernie, for for a team at the at that end of the grid, that if you're bringing in money, results while important don't matter as much.
0: It's difficult, and it, there's almost two aspects in the team. So, if you think of sat on the pit wall, you've got the engineering aspect of the team that are interested in getting. You know, let's talk with the McLaren example again: the fastest driver to the best position at the end of the race and. You disregard on the other. If that was Norris and Piastri paid an unpaid driver, should the team on the pit will have done the same thing? A hundred percent, they should have got the best points they can for that team because the prize money at the end of the year is worth more, potentially, than some of the paid drivers bring. The management structure further up have probably got a more delicate balance to strike. But I imagine there's a lot of paid-for drivers out there looking for seats. Mm. But I think that in all instances, almost, you need to back your horse at the start of the year and stick with that horse through the year, be that DeVries, be that Sergeant, be that Fred, whoever it is, and say, we- we've got a plan to get us to the end of the year. Are we seeing improvements? Are we seeing marks in the right direction? And to sort of say, "There are the two drivers that haven't scored any points. In any other season, if the midfield wasn't so close, we'd have loads of drivers on zero points, for the whole year, we'd have loads of teams on zero points potentially. So it's really interesting that this has become the marker of whether a driver is good or not. Because to get the difference in that P10 and P11 is often so small and often based on strategy decisions or whatever, that it's not necessarily all the driving. So the team has so much more information than we have, be it their feedback, their progression, their time in the sim, all this other stuff. It was interesting with the Diverse aspect that you know, Red Bull or Alvaro were coming out and saying he's got four races left to show us his skill. Whereas I think James Foles has already come out on Sergeant and said he's developing for you know a bit more positive, definitely mm-hmm. more positive tones. And it's a bit like and um, the good cop, bad cop. You know the the football manager at the side hurling abuse versus the football manager hurling encouragement. It's a very dramatic difference, I think. So. I don't know, maybe he's at risk for next year, but Williams aren't the sort, or haven't in the past necessarily got rid of them mid-season. Um, so it's very interesting to see how that, you know, how James Voles' outward expression of support, let's watch how that develops and can, you know, their parents reasonably strong. I think they've done a lot better. Their car's developing better. There's a lot of positivity from Williams.
2: I mean, basically, I mean, if there's a queue of pay drivers down the street, uh, you know, here's your question. Is the guy we're going to bring in going to be definitely faster, definitely consistently faster uh, or and or bring uh, a shed load more money? Because if they if they take Sargent out, presumably they not all his money will last through to the end of the season. So the new guy has to have lots more money mm. um, and they need to be in money trouble. And I think it's probably not that. I don't know, but uh, I'd imagine he's safe, as you say, till the end of the season, but you uh, could probably do with a result or two between now and then, yeah.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of other teams that could certainly do with results or two, like we, we, we've touched on Aston Martin a lot, but uh, I guess Fernando Alonso uh, qualifies eighth on the grid, Lance Stroll qualifies in a per 14th. Um, I
2: think Stroll is secure, though, in his seat for next year.
1: Yeah, he should be, like you'd imagine, <laughs> you'd imagine he'd be safe enough. Uh, I, I think, look, I guess from a, from an Aston Martin perspective, it, that those performances compared to the start of the season, like Bernie, you do, you were involved with Aston Martin relatively recently has held a race strategy, that like they're the third in the constructor standings. I guess a lot of that is because Ferrari still underperforming and McLaren had such a bad start to the season as well. Um, and then it was a nine ten finish that Alonso uh, headed uh, the final point scores the weekend. But I mean, it's nowhere near the levels that they were reaching at the start of the season.
0: Oh, yeah, and doesn't show any signs of being either. You know, I was sort of hopeful after Austria, Silverstone. Some people have brought upgrades. I thought Hungary, very different track. Maybe we'll get some of that performance back. Let's see how it goes for Aston. It it didn't, none of the last three races have shown me any major errors from a strategy side or a qualifying side, or we don't hear the drivers complaining of like specific setup issue or tire issue, whatever it is. So where is all that pace gone? Now there have been is it just the others are improving more? It, it, it's been big steps. You know it has been big steps for McLaren, but we it's very hard for us on the outside to relatively know the steps that others are taking as well. Some people are blaming the new tires that we got in from Silverstone, but I think the downfall happened before that. So I don't think it's due to the tire compound change that Pirelli have brought, but. We've had many years, you know, many of the years that we were the Force India team where we didn't necessarily roll out with a strong car. We gained points over others making mistakes in the early races, and we were fit to get some good points on the board early on. And I think that appears to be currently the case with Aston, where other teams haven't had their setup right or their development right or the car fully together and have been lagging in the first few races for want of a better word, and are now on the catch-up game. And that's a pity really because it was really quite exciting to see what Aston could do. I I believe they have a strong race team there so I was excited to see with a good car what they could do but it is going to be a case now of holding on where they can trying to it looked like last week get those three points for P9 and P10 just so you're not losing massive amounts to the McLaren but it's going to be an interesting battle for P2 at the end of the year if it keeps going I think Aston are going to fall away and then you can see McLaren coming all the way through. So can they make it all the way to the P2 slot is a big question, really.
1: Mm, 100%. Yeah, those questions to be answered for for uh, Aston Martin. You'd imagine over the, the next few races, the other teams we, we didn't really get to, Alfa Romeo, Um Joe Guan Yu, bit of surprise, third in the grid in qualifying, uh, and Valtteri Bottas qualifying in second, but they found it a little bit tougher in the race. Uh, Bottas eventually gets 11th. Joe is back uh, in 16th. He has that first corner shunt uh, that leads to that one, and then I guess Alpine just had a bit of a disaster on the on the first corner. And um, so There are a couple of the teams we didn't really get to touch on massively. We should, before we finish, guys, mention uh, the Spa Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix, and I guess get the predictions. Uh, albeit it's a tough enough race to predict, because of the rain, maybe, uh, and and hopefully we can see some changes to to the podium. Verstappen won there last year, ahead of Perez, seventeen seconds ahead of Perez, with Carlos Sainz in third. He had Russell fourth, Alonso fifth. Um, Declan, I might start with you. How do you see how do you see this one playing out? Uh, you'll get no prizes what, behind Verstappen. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say yeah. if you say Max first, uh, I'll, I'll not blame you.
2: Well, last time I was on, I predicted Alonso uh, in the wet at Silverstone. So how did that work? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) um,
1: Oh, my God. Predictions.
2: Uh, Who's behind them?
1: I'll take note of these predictions as well. I'm going to write them down on my phone like the last time just so I can. uh, We can can forget about them if we're all wrong. But if one of us gets it dramatically right, we can bring it back up.
2: Well, McLaren are flying, so that's boring as well. So who's going to come? Uh, what about uh, what about Lewis I think he's yeah he's, maybe he's just the, the arc is in the right direction yeah.
1: Lewis is a second place behind Max yeah right we'll go with yeah. that yeah it's as good as a win I guess a second place at the moment isn't it
2: last B yeah win class B
1: <laughs> and uh, any surprises to finish out your podium Declan?
2: Um Ferrari they'll probably do something okay. extraordinary just after slating them for the last uh, <laughs> yeah
1: commentator's curse yeah <laughs> Uh, Bernie, how do you see it?
0: It's hard to imagine that Verstappen's not going to win, but I'm, I'm going to just guess that he's not.
1: Oh.
2: Just something
0: Spa always throws up, can always throw up something a bit out there. It's a sprint weekend as well, so let's see. So I'm just going to say a going to win, and then I'm going to put in Norris because I I thought McLaren looked strong. Yeah, um, and then probably Hamilton.
1: Hamilton in third. See, what did I
0: say last week? <laughs> Do you have my laugh? What i done?
1: Last did we last predict, week? I'm, not, I'm not sure if we predicted it because it was a couple of weeks out. Uh, I can't. Remember. Oh, right. But uh, I, I'll have to keep note of these ones. That's it. So, yeah, I guess if Max isn't on the podium, something has happened to his car. He's been knocked out of the race, you'd imagine. I'm going to go. Well,
0: Spa's one of those ones where anything can happen because it's looking wet some of the weekend.
1: Yeah, this is it. It's it's one of those... there
2: in 19. 90- yeah, you've never seen such carnage they <laughs> need a rubber nose scone for a show going you that'll uh, solve our yeah,
1: competition absolutely make it I might go for I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say Max is gonna win Um, be really really boring and I'm gonna go Russell in second I think Russell likes it at Spa and uh, oh gee who's a surprise in third there's no real surprises I guess I guess Landon Norris isn't a surprise anymore Um, Carlos Sainz We'll go call a signs in third. It sort it's a tough to predict. I guess it's probably it's probably one of the toughest races to predict, is it, Bernie? Do you find?
0: It can be because it can throw up a lot and it's a very short number of laps. Mm. It's often a multi stop race. Um and it's one of those races where particularly which might be relevant this weekend, you've got those changing conditions potentially. And it's one of those places where it's a 7K lap. What is happening in the pit again is not what's happening at turn five or six. Mm. So you can be getting one set of information from the driver and one set of information from your eyes. And to try and collate the two, often the radar is totally wrong because you're in the middle of the forest and it's just chaos. Um, and the most interesting thing from making those decisions in indoor wet conditions is often if you miss the lap, it's a long lap to correct it. Mm -hmm. So if you're one lap too slow and putting on an inch or wet, you've got a very slow lap to get in and fix it. So making those decisions at the right time almost becomes more important than a long lap. In a very short lap like Austria, very quickly, you correct the decision and you move on with your life. Whereas, you know, I've had many examples in spa where it feels like forever, to get it back around. again, it seems true in qualifying in terms of positioning. Or we talked a little bit about Russell last weekend being in the wrong position on track for the qualifying session. If that happens this weekend, it's really detrimental because you've got a long time to correct. It. If you leave the garage too late, it's a, a long battle to get to start finish line.
2: Yeah does, does that mean you're more likely to make the change if it's if it's going you know if it's going to be a change to a different um,
0: I think you almost have to preempt it particularly if you go yeah. on the dry to the interdirection you almost have to preempt it because it's a 1 minute 44 lap I think when it's dry so you're talking over 2 minutes in the interconditions so you need to sort of be that minute ahead of the conditions or the the issue that's about to arise not so much going into the dry because that tends to happen much more gradually, but definitely that, you know, dry to wet or into conditions. And we know that when it rains, it rains heavily there, as you can tell yourself from your camping experiences. But you do need to be just a little bit more ahead of the game, I think, in Spa.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so always- those that aren't paralysed by indecision are the ones. That,
1: that, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: So you might get a good read on the pit walls again.
1: Yeah, you'll That's see the confusion important. on some of the faces. Uh, it's always a race to look forward to, guys. Uh, Bernie and Ethan, thanks a million for your time as always. Cheers. Thank you great stuff Bernie Collins there the F1 pundit and former head of race strategy with the Aston Martin team and Declan Quigley motorsport journalist and broadcaster that is episode 7 of the F1 pod and off the ball in the books we will be back next week for episode 8 of course to, to recap on spa and all the action there will be a slight break then of course for the I guess the summer and the F1 hiatus that uh, that comes but we'll be back then with episode 8 of the F1 pod here and off the ball next week good luck the F1 pod on off the ball with Chicago Town pizza Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it.